this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Greetings from Panama City, Panama. This is Linus Wilson. Me, Sophie, and Daly just transited the Panama Canal, and we are now moored in the Balboa Yacht Club in the Pacific Basin. We said goodbye to the Atlantic Basin on uh, July 4th, and in a two-day passage through the Panama Canal, we emerged on the other side, unscathed, no problems. Uh, We were very lucky to have a, a very good Panama Canal agent. Uh, as it turns out, as I discovered after I hired him, he was the same agent that La Vagabond had in their wonderful uh, episodes 35 and 36. And our line handlers were the same ones in that video. And those guys knew what they were doing. You know, the Panama Canal is a process unlike anything uh, I have gone through as a boater that the, all my instincts of what is the right thing to do were wrong and I think you'd be crazy if you went into the Panama Canal without at least two professional experienced line handlers because it just takes a few transits at least to get a hang of what's going on not just they throw the mon- monkey fist with the messenger line, which is like a really small ball. Uh, they u- they don't use the lines the way that you normally use lines. Uh, they feed them through the cleats a-, a-, a special way. They use a special loop. They have to pay out the lines very carefully. There are several different ways that they'll have you go in and uh, if you have somebody that's only gone through once they may not be familiar with all the ways so we were we were tied to another yacht a 39 foot catamaran but part of the part of the transit on our way up in the Gatun locks we were in we were in the middle of the, the chambers that was very different then the second half of our transit where we were uh, side tied to a large ferry but we were actually always tied to the the catamaran because we were the smallest boat we tied to the catamaran the catamaran tied to the ferry and the ferry tied to the wall that was very different in fact I think it was a little easier doing that um, as long as we were not the ones tied to the wall Uh, that was definitely a bit easier. Jana was a fourth line handler. You know, the fourth line handler doesn't really have to do anything because you really are only tied up on, you're tied to the other boat on on one side and then on the other side you have lines going out. So really most of the work in in the locks is gonna be paying out those lines and getting the messenger line and walking it through and that is is not going to be done on the side 
where there's another yacht. So really there's two line handlers that are doing all the work once you're in the lock. And you know, the experienced line handlers also will raft you up well. They've done it, you know, hundreds of times. So they're they're gonna seize on that even you know, even if it's not technically their side. And I don't think uh, we ever specified a, uh, a space where they, they had to stay at, although it, I had a plan if, if, if I was asked to do that. The other nice thing is that you, you have a pilot, uh, which I think is normally referred to as the advisor. And I, you know, I'd heard a lot of really negative comments about Panama Canal advisors, that they're useless, they're prima donnas, uh, and they're they're just uh, really uh, not helpful at all. I found our two advisors, we had one going up and one going down because they don't sleep on the boat, uh, that I found them both very helpful, very knowledgeable, and they all had good advice uh, that I followed and I think were helpful. You know, uh, one thing, the the advisor uh, on the way up in the Gatun locks, uh, he had really good boat handling instincts and I, I think that maybe the catamaran we rafted up to did not and he, he gave me good uh, commands on how to kind of stabilize both of us rafted together uh, by you know, using reverse, using the wheel, just a little bit to to have that third engine to stabilize a, because the cat has two engines. And so, if you're the smaller boat, you, typically your engine is going to be in neutral. You're not going to be using it while rafted, uh, but you can you could use it in in a pinch. And we did a few times. The other thing was uh, the the way that you moor in Gatun Lake. You know, my instinct is you put a, a line from the bow uh, and you you take the message or you take the mooring line and you put that through the loop of the mooring line and you maybe you have two bow lines uh, through that mooring line. Well, the moorings in Gatun Lake are made for ships and they are huge and they're like four feet out of the water and, you know, gigantic. And if you moor to them like that, then there's a chance that if the, there's a current wind shift, so there's maybe a, a current opposing the wind, uh, you know, you could, you could bang into the mooring. I certainly have banged into many moorings in our cruising, and that's not what you do. The advisor, you know, had us uh, actually raft to the mooring that we use our big fenders which we have a lot of big fenders you rent extra fenders and we have a lot of fenders on our boat anyways but we use their fenders which were nice heavier duty fenders than ours you know if you bought one of their fenders they would have retailed like two hundred dollars at west marine or something like that and those were part of our rental and we just used those to to keep uh, us next to the mooring buoy float and it was it was basically like being you know side tied to a floating dock. I think a lot of the horror stories you hear about the Panama Canal and advisors have revolved around, at least from what I've read, the issue of food. So, you know, on 
July 2nd, I went from being alone on the boat to having Sophie and Jana on July 3rd. And then we had three more line handlers plus an advisor. So that was seven people on the boat, really six adults you have to cook for. And you're going to have to a minimum of six adults that you have to feed. And so the Panama Canal makes it the responsibility of the boat owner to feed uh, the uh, crew. And it, my agent made it clear, and from what I've read, it's, not, it's clear that you have to feed them good meals. And so one of the things, as soon as I you know, signed up with my advisor, was I went to the grocery store to buy the materials for the meals that we had plan that I had planned. So it was 4th of July, I made them hot dogs for their first lunch for the line handlers, cheeseburgers in the evening, and, and then in the, in the morning, pancakes with eggs, and on, uh, for the afternoon, salmon uh, with rice and peas and all that other stuff. And, you know, making three meals a day, cooking three meals a day, something I would never do cruising. Me and Jana would never do cruising. I think most cruisers would not do just because that heats up the boat. But that's really what's expected uh, from, uh, I guess, the the customs of the, the Panamanian uh, line handlers and the agents that they're expecting hot meals for every meal and that you know that is an inconvenience and also feeding you know uh, six people six adults which is the minimum crew you're going to have in the Panama Canal which is for most cruisers going to be four more than they're typically going to have that's that's a big production and that's almost a full-time job it's also very difficult to work in those meals, right? So I actually am the one that cooks in our house and so and I had the meals planned so I was actually cooking but I was also the captain and uh, I was doing the helming in the in most of the time or all the time in the, the locks and for a lot of the time outside of the locks. You know, Jana was a huge help, you know, in wherever I couldn't get away from the helm, but, you know, I had to find times where things were a little settled down to cook and where we'd have enough time to eat. You know, we started out, we ended up waiting like three hours for our first advisor, three or four hours, so they were a little late, maybe an hour and a half late to start out with. Second advisor, we didn't know when he was coming, we just assumed he was coming in the morning. And he actually woke us up, and we were totally unprepared for his arrival. So I, you know, after we got unmoored, I had Jana helm and I cooked him breakfast. But you know, the 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 first lunch I had plenty of time for. The the dinner, just barely had enough time to to finish that dinner. And if you're doing a cooked dinner, that's going to take you an hour, and then another half hour to to for people to eat, and then you know get the dishes off the off the deck so that was a little tight right before the gatun locks we went in 
but you also don't want to have people hungry going into the locks, right? So we ended up eating the, so the Gatun Lake's about 28 miles. So breakfast was not a big issue. Uh, they ate breakfast and it's, you know, the, the line handlers were, knew that was kind of the down boring time through uh, motoring through Gatun Lake and they were just kind of chilling out down below. Uh, so we weren't too busy then. So breakfast was easy in terms of that. Lunch was a little tighter. We were ahead of the, the two boats that we were going to be rafted with and the, the ship that was going to be in the back of the the lock, which I have some pictures on Facebook. I recommend going to Slow Boat Sailing on Facebook, Facebook slash Slow Boat Sailing or Slow Boat to the Bahamas. You can get some of the pictures of our experiences in the Panama Canal. Like that page and you'll get the updates for that. I think I tweeted out a, a, a picture from our experience uh, to our Twitter followers, which is at Slow Boat Sailing. And I'll probably put up some more pictures uh, for our, our Patreon supporters. Our guest is Annie Dyke. And uh, she quit her job in 2013 and started writing full-time, blogging full-time, and YouTubing full-time. Her channel's named Have Wind, Will Travel. And she has three sailing books. Uh, one was her first book, Assault of a Sailor. Uh, the second one was Keys to the Kingdom. And the third is... Uh, none such like it and those three books are about her cruising experiences in Florida and he's been on a few other podcasts but I think we talked about subjects that really those other forums did not talk about we talk we talk about you know how much you can kind of make money uh, from all these uh, venues I think a lot of people see the La Vagabond they see the the Delos and they think well we'll just quit our job start a YouTube channel and make lots of money and we talk to a best-selling author YouTube sensation find out how much she really makes and uh, I think that'll open up a lot of people's eyes and we also talk about how much she works to put out all that great content uh, that uh, so many people are enjoying one example of that uh, would be the boat tour uh, that she did on the slow boat. And she is actually our first guest to actually be interviewed on the slow boat and interviewed in person. So I think this is a very interesting interview. This episode is sponsored by Jennifer Clark's Gulfstream. Satellite oceanographer Jennifer Clark and professional meteorologist Dane Clark have over 35 years of experience helping sailors on blue water voyages. Their current charts, crossing waypoints, and personalized weather advice help sailors take advantage of favorable currents and minimize the impact of unfavorable ones. A link to their website, their email address, and their phone number are in the show notes. This is going to be a first, Annie not only the first person on the podcast to be actually live mm -hmm. in person not on skype also try to video it yep, at the yep. same time yeah, and know. we're live here from well live when we're recording it <laughs> in uh, pensacola right. florida annie's hometown uh we're here as we're trying to make our easting to cuba annie thanks for coming down 
I thought it was great you were here in Pensacola. It was just fortuitous. You yeah. were passing through. So. Yeah. yeah, I thought we were going to leave before this, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got stuck somewhere on a boat? No. That happens? No. <laughs> uh, so, you've got a new book coming out. What What's the name of your new book? Uh, None Such Like It. <laughs> None Such Like It. Okay. Yeah. It's about a, um, a non-such boat. It's kind of the play on it. And I was going to call it non-such like it, but most people are like, we don't know what that means. That's only going to apply to boaters, you know. So it's non-such like it. Um, mostly the, it's kind of a, a fun spin on it. We're going to do like, you know, the nine stages of grief, of shock, anger, denial, that kind of stuff. We're doing a spin on like a boat owner gets a boat and he goes through like anger, shock, denial. Like, oh, what did I just get into? And it's kind of a humorous non-fiction sort of spin on a new boat owner. Getting a boat's our friend Mitch, and he got an on such, and we helped him bring it home across the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, what kind of boat is a non such? It's, uh, and I hope I don't mess this up, Philip, if you're listening. <laughs> it's a uh, Hinterholer, is a Canadian Philip boat. Philip is your significant other? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I call him my adventure companion. <laughs> uh, he, and he gets he gets called husband, and he sort of freaks out about that, so <laughs> adventure companion it is. But he, um, he Philip is my boyfriend, and the boat is a Hinterholer Canadian built, and they used to make a lot of CNCs. You might be real familiar with that. CNC was the company that did all the non-suches, mm-hmm. and um, or maybe that's not a plural word. It might be non-such, like deer, <laughs> the non-such. But they made um, a lot of non-such, and then they created ours as a Niagara is their first sloop version, is Hinterholer. So Hinterholer builds Niagara and non-such as well, which was kind of cool that it was a boat. So that is we that the with. wishbone boat where yeah. it's got those? It doesn't have a a Genoa, it just has a big mane. It's freaky. It's got one big fat sail, like 30 feet long, the length of the boat. And I hate to say that, but I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Very limited sail plan because yeah. it's just one sail, like a huge sail. It's either up or down. You can reef it, but it doesn't give you as much options as like a Genoa or a cutter or something like that. But the mast is strange. It's like a tree trunk at the front of the boat. This huge mast. It's right. huge, much bigger than a normal mast. You can kind of hug it like a tree and no stays. It sticks straight up in the wind. Wow. <laughs> it's all okay. on its own. Very, it's a very odd boat, and it was very weird for me to kind of learn the sails, learn how to sail it. Um, definitely a, a unique-looking boat as well. It definitely is it, stands out. Is it hard to go upwind with that kind of boat? You normally feel like you get the upwind performance from the Genoa. Definitely more, but it pointed more than I thought. It was, it was about 25, 30 degrees off, you know, which isn't terrible. Well, that, but that would be exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> ours is ours is thirty and mostly, but it was heavier winds, so it can pull more in heavy winds when we were okay. sailing in that condition. But I think maybe thirty, thirty-five. I know we had thirty at one point. You would and I think was like, like That's kind impressive. of forty-five degrees off the wind would be kind of standard, and maybe a, yeah. a racing boat might be able to go. 40, 30%. Maybe that's totally wrong. Maybe it was 50, 60. <laughs> totally possible. Yeah. Yeah, we used to have a, a boat made by Hinterholer. We had a Hinterholer oh, really? 30, which was built in 1969. Oh, very cool. So that was our first boat. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that boat. Um, we didn't end up keeping it. But <laughs> what it kind of, I great. guess, Hinterholer 30, is that, was it a sloop version? Or? Yeah, so I think before Hinterholer joined the CNC company, he was on his own. And okay. so they made it as the Hinterholer 30 and 69, and then I think cool. in 70 was the CNC 30. So okay. they just 
brought huh. the design. Is he the Mark Ellis guy? Because I know he's one of the designers, but maybe he's with CNC more so than Hinterholer. Uh, Hinterholer also designed the Nonsuch. Okay. Right? So I think the Nonsuch was his more popular boat. Mm-hmm. But Definitely. And I think more like kind of east, it seems like, up in sort of that area. Not around here, but <laughs> there were a lot of Nonsuch built. Yeah, they were. Uh, the CNC, I think, was based in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong on that, but it was it was definitely already been wrong. You have to right. cut out my wrong stuff, okay? <laughs> it's, it's totally true. If there's anything you want me to cut out, I'll cut it out. <laughs> no, because I can't say that because you'll have to cut out so much. <laughs> when I edit my own stuff, anytime I start talking, it's like cut. <laughs> That's my cue to cut. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's helpful though. When I hear my voice, I know to splice the video. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the music is for, right? Exactly, exactly. Mute and overplay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you have a really great YouTube channel. I, I think I mentioned once I think you're the hardest working author, blogger, video producer out there. You produce a video a week, is that right? When you said that, actually, I have to say that was a huge compliment. Cause it was actually at a time where I was kind of, I mean, you get frazzled with this stuff. It's fun, mm-hmm. it's, it's wonderful, but it's a labor of love. It's a lot of work to do this behind the scenes podcast videos all that and it was when you mentioned that it was kind of one of those weeks that I've been working really hard I was behind on everything and people you know poo poo your stuff or I don't like it it's not good enough the audio's bad the whatever and I'm like you people aren't making videos like I'm like you're just you're killing me with this and you <laughs> stepped up Linus and said hardest working which was a huge compliment I don't know if I'm the hardest working, but I just want to say that came at a time that I was super frustrated. So that was yeah. awesome. I'd be hard re- to pressed to find somebody that does more than you. <laughs> I love it. I do love it. I did. I was doing two videos a week, which was really killing me. And that was because it's it, sometimes they take 10 or 12 hours to make. I mean, you know, it's, it's not easy yeah, definitely. with a hundred clips, you know, and you have to splice them together and edit out all of my talking. <laughs> I tend to talk a lot as you notice, but, um, so I, I was doing two a week and um, enjoyed it, loved it, but I felt like uh, the quality of videos was kind of getting um, downgraded because I was str- so stressed for time to make them. Um, and then I was deciding on maybe doing one a week and the Atlantic Crossing came up as an opportunity. And that sort of gave me the momentum to say, okay, I'm just going to do one video a week because I have all this Atlantic content that I need to create as well. And I do that exclusively on Patreon. So. The one video a week is public, and then I have a lot of snippets and videos and photos that go on Patreon every week, as well as the books that I write, and then the weekly blog. <laughs> All of that sort of. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so if somebody, somebody what really likes your YouTube channel, if they want to get more, they can get more on Patreon. Yeah. The um, I, it wasn't structured that way initially. I had just done Patreon as a, if you like everything I'm doing publicly, feel free to support on Patreon. And that worked pretty well. I mean, if people like it, they donate. Most people don't. Most people expect everything free, which is fine. And so it was a very small percentage of people that, that stepped up to support, um, which is not a problem. That's why, I, that's why I did it for free. But the Atlantic Crossing, what happened there was the captain um, asked me, and I was fine with it. He was like, please don't blast this whole thing on YouTube. Like, this is just my boat that the family's going to live on. This is kind of my first Atlantic Crossing. My wife can't be with me, and she's bummed about it. So please don't, just just please don't blast this. And I was like, not a problem. You know, it was a reasonable request, and I totally understood. And actually, it gave me the idea. I thought, you know what, if I if people really want to see this content, then that's great. Get on Patreon and join and see it there. Because yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't up to you at all. No. And he said, and I asked, I asked him as a favor. I was like, yeah. well, can I put it on a small platform? Because I am a writer. I am a filmer. And he knew that it kind of, like, shot my horse to ask me that. You know, I was like, oh, man. Because that was, that was one of the big reasons I wasn't excited to go, because I love to write and document and then he says don't write or document but I was like please let me share on this platform 
and he said okay for Patreon. So I was lucky that he granted that request. Um, but I've got a lot of flack for it. A lot of people, it's funny, have gotten upset. You know, like, how can you not share this publicly? I'm like, because he asked me to. Like, I'm not here as a reporter to get the salacious story. I'm here to travel and enjoy myself. Somebody asked me not to film. I'm not going to film, you know. But it's been surprising the reaction I've got. <laughs> oh, a lot of people have been upset yes, that you're very not. Upset. Oh, okay. Which well, is, I, I mean, think that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, but it did surprise me. Uh, it did surprise me. I mean, I think you mentioned that he plans to make a documentary or something. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of if he's trying to market a documentary, it's a bad business decision. Might be a right personal decision, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. for him, yeah. yeah. Well, and I guess he wanted to, to do it his own way, not yeah. me presenting him to the world. Right. He I wants know, to present his yeah. own persona, which is totally fine. Yeah, I'm fine with it. It's just been funny to see the reaction. But I put it all up on Patreon. I did the virtual tour of the boat that we're taking just this morning, the um, 46 foot catamaran. So that's there if anybody wants to see. I mean, it's like a dollar a week. You know, it's very very low amount. Uh, but everybody has their own. Sure. You know, sure. everybody has their own comfort level. Right. Yeah. Sometimes right. I, I mean, a lot of people I pull out the GoPro and they get a little, you know, funny, and and that's yeah. fine. I get it. You know, if they if they yeah. don't want me to film them, I'm not going to film them. I always want to ask for sure at first because some people just aren't as comfortable with it, and that's fine. When did you start doing video? I think August of last year. I started filming, I believe, in July, but I think one of the first videos came out July or August of 2015. I really haven't been doing it that long, but I was doing two a week, so I kind of got a big bank of videos out of the gate. But definitely you can watch the evolution of my video making. Not that it's fantastic today, but when I look back at some of my first videos, <laughs> even I have to laugh. <laughs> the quality is just, you can tell I'm amateur, just kind of bumbling around and figuring it out. But um, definitely it's, I'm getting better at how I hold the camera, my audio. Um, you know, we call the selfie stick the Black Betty, and anytime you touch it or move it, it goes, <laughs> you know, on the video. And I used to do that all the time. And so I'm, I'm learning how to, how to capture better while also living in the moment. That's one thing that um, I love videoing, but when you're videoing, you're not fully enjoying what you're experiencing. So you kind of have to taper that with do I want to just enjoy myself right now, or do I want to get out the camera and really, particularly, you know, film this bit? Um, but I've, I've found a way to do that more, film more while still experiencing it as I'd like um, but I enjoy I definitely enjoy watching the video and it's like a visual scrapbook for me you know what I saw and where I was never does it justice though I will say like whatever you see with your natural eye when I watch it back on the GoPro it's great but it's not the same it's not the same yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how incredible the camera is but it does not see what your eye sees do you use uh, other camera setups besides your GoPro just my iPhone on occasion and usually when I don't have the GoPro with me or I need to <laughs> capture something really fast um, I definitely have to, you have to film horizontal if you're going to do that for the widescreen. If you mm-hmm. film vertical, it kind of messes it up, anybody who's doing that out there. Um, but those are the only two, that's it. And I've had one GoPro from the beginning. He gives me fits a lot. He just says that SD error where he has his problems. And I'm like, come on, GoPro! And I've missed my moment, you know, and I'm yelling at him. But <laughs> my one little friend, GoPro, that's the only one I got. Uh, he's got epoxy and fiberglass and all sorts of bilge paint on him right now, but he's still hanging okay. in there, so... <laughs> Uh, until he putters out, he's he's my friend. <laughs> you wrote two books before none such like it. That'd be great. It's coming yeah. out. Personal right. goal, well, we'll, we'll see. Into we'll see how it. So tell me about your first two books. What are the names of those two? Uh, first book is um, well, first sailing book. I'll say that um, I've written a couple others, but for the sailing world, is uh, Salt of a Sailor was my first sailing book, and. Um, this covers the, everyone calls it a shakedown passage, you know, where you have that first trip on the boat where kind of 
happens and it did, you know, and um, we were bringing our Niagara 35 home from Punta Gorda, Florida. And what, sort of what year was this? Uh, that was 2013. So where is Punta Gorda? I don't know where Punta Gorda is. Um, Charlotte Harbor. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's, it's right up in there. And um, the, we bought the boat there, and so we brought it back from Punta Gorda, Florida to Pensacola, and um, it was... So did you take <laughs> it, did you take it kind of up the GIWW to Clearwater or Tarpon Springs, or did you just go, like, right offshore? We went offshore, but we did sort of dot the shore, is kind of what we call it, but we definitely went offshore, though. Okay, so you kind of we went, you went up, so you didn't, you didn't do an overnight passage until you got to where? We did, we did, right out of the gate was an overnight passage. We went from Charlotte Harbor to Clearwater, was okay. about a... I think 24 to 30 hour run something okay. like that All right. and then Clearwater to Apalachicola was kind of the big jump you know right across the horn pit is what I call it right. of Florida um, Big Bend Nature big Coast bend. or armpit as any <laughs> sense that's fine too <laughs> um, you have to learn to speak Annie you'll have to have a little code we're trying not to get the letters and the <laughs> exactly. protest email <laughs> I think it's a beautiful place. Oh, way. love it. I'm, I, I guess I don't mean it as a, as a wild. Yeah, maybe you should have to <laughs> work on that. Uh, but Apalachicola is one of our favorite places. So love being there. Um, the jump from Clearwater to Apalachicola is and where... So you guys we... went through Government Cut, or did you go through the East Pass? East Pass. Okay. East Pass. We've heard Governor's Cut is kind of tricky. I've never, yeah. We've never done it, it's but we've heard narrow. you have to be careful with and what you're doing. a lot of current. And the, that big passage is where we ran into like four to six foot seas and heavy winds and the boat was sort of new to us. There's three of us, um, myself, Philip, and Mitch, and was our crew member just for the passage and the nun such like. He was the most colorful character in the entire boat. We called him Mr. While You're Down There, which I'm sure you can imagine anytime he's in the cockpit. Yeah, I mean, you, your butt comes off the seat for a millisecond. Well, while you're down there, I'm like, I wasn't even going down there. But what do you need, buddy? What do you need? Yeah. He was, he was a great friend, good guy. He's just personality like nobody's business and the none such like it boat it's his boat and his passage and now he's captain so that one's why that's kind of a fun play oh, so, and a sequel to salt of the sailor okay in so mitch bought the none such mm -hmm. all right that, yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. down in um fort myers so we had to cross the gulf again so it was just kind of funny it was in 1985 it was a hinterholer and it was the three of us again so we're all like salt of the sailor the sequel let's go you know and it was a fun fun passage one thing that comes up if you're kind of a coast hopping like people do in the Great Loop is that they always have to cross the big bend of Florida or the nature coast because there's not really that many ports or good anchorages right. along the way so they they, they either, they either jump from clear, wa clear water or tarpon springs mm -hmm. where the Gulf ICW ends and then they uh, do that so we, we had to do that twice for our Bahamas trip the first time it was pretty easy with, or the uh, second time it was pretty easy. Uh, there's just no wind. Me and my dad, yeah. uh, which is perfect because he's not really a sailor. And <laughs> we had to do that this last time. We motored a good bit. And, and uh, the first time we should have gone with my gut. Took Did you a have a schedule? I, Tell me you had a schedule. No, I didn't have a schedule. <laughs> I had a, I had a, took a poll of my one other crew member and asked him. No, it's should, not a democracy. Should, You're should the we, captain. Should we go the <laughs> one day or should we go the other day? And I was like, one day is a lot of motoring, but it'd be easy. Two days, it might be okay. It, but it was only forecast 15 to 20, but it ended up being 20 to 25. So it was yeah. four to six foot yeah. seas. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I, I also lost my scopolamine patch. So. Oh, no. So, Do you get seasick pretty uh, easily? Or? No, 
not with scopolamine. You know, what's hard is if you have, and this is what you're going to have on a night watch, is if you have a night watch with no stars, no moon, then you have no horizon. And that is very hard not to be seasick on a, a night watch. And when are you going to have no stars and no moon? That's going to be where there's a lot of wind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, clouds, yeah. so, so, uh, but I, I didn't throw up or anything, but I was, I was uh, struggling. But I, I had some excitement that kept me going. Good. And so that's in Slow Boat to the Bahamas. So you had that. It, it seems like. Philip, uh, had he ever owned a boat before Niagara? Uh, the, um, I mean, his family had little runaround kind of day boats, you know, like little sea rays and things like that. His uncle had a Pearson 30, mm-hmm. um, so he didn't own it, but he sailed it with him a lot okay. and helped him with it. But this was definitely Philip's first, his boat. He's yeah. the captain in charge of everything. So there was kind of a nervous factor there for him. And he kept telling me that. I wrote it in the book several times because I'm Were like, you guys in a rush? Did you have kind of time pressure? Sadly, we did have a schedule on a boat. Um, but I didn't understand. When he bought the boat, I was like, well, when are they going to bring it to us? When will they deliver it? You know, and he's like, sunshine, <laughs> we've got to sail this boat home. You know, it's not something you just pull up on a trailer. <laughs> so I had to learn a lot about how much work goes into getting a boat like this across the Gulf. But we had, um, I was working at the time. I was a lawyer in Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And Mitch uh, has a magazine that he runs, and he had, like, a publication date coming mm-hmm. up. I mean, we cleared, like, about eight, I think it was eight, eight to ten days, you know, but then we ran into trouble, which you always do. <laughs> and we right. got pinned down for storms and things like that. So we were getting close to this, like, two-day margin where we really needed to get back. And um, Philip has said that many times. He was like, I shouldn't have left when I did. We should have waited one more day, kind of like you. You know, if you took the poll and waited one more day, it would have been better. Oh, waiting the day. Okay. So, I guess when I, the, the time you left wasn't uh, opportune, and it wasn't for us either. Um, so, we've learned since then, you just have to have huge flexibility to be safe, you know, to make the best yeah. decisions. So, we weren't, it wasn't terrible, you know. We could, you can run into weather even when you make good decisions and have all the time in the world. It's going to happen. But it um, probably would have been better had we waited. <laughs> but we did get back, thankfully. We didn't get the boat back in the first pass. It had to stop in Caribou for like six weeks, um, the transmission. <laughs> we sort of blew it up. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Uh, well, we didn't know. We ran it out of transmission fluid. We didn't know. it was. We, I, it's still kind of a mystery because we had the survey. We assumed he checked it. We saw the fluids before we left. They looked good, but apparently it burned through it. And like there was 30 hours of motor. Isn't that just an oil check? The, the transmission, transmission yeah. I mean, it's like a dipstick, yeah. Yeah, it's a little, yeah. I know okay. a lot about it now. I did not know about oh, it then. Of course. But, yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that, you know, that's that was definitely, for our first boat, that was totally the experience, like, I don't need to know the engine. I don't need to know anything. That's for you know. That's for mechanics. Right. That's not anything. I need to worry about. And I, I found out that was not the case. That's not the case. You have to wear everything. You be a plumber. You got to be an electrician. You got to be a janitor. You got to yeah. be everything. But I'm learning, you know, and I've learned since. And we check the transmission fluid well, now before we crank. That's tough. Every all, time. all that on the first, first trip. Crazy, but the the cool thing was is it was still kind of like you said you had something adrenaline to keep you going. It was still fun, like it was kind of a little frightening, a little scary, but it was still fun. Like the whole passage was fun, you know, and I enjoyed the adventure of it, which was a good sign for Philip that okay, she's hardy enough to handle that. I think she'll enjoy cruising when it's not near as hairy, (laughs) which came out to be true. I loved it because that was my first passage. I'd only been on a sailboat about for an hour before one other boat we looked at, and it was my very first sail. And so that I had one hour of sailing under my belt before we jaunted off on that journey. <laughs> so whether I was going to enjoy it was a huge mystery. You know, 
so that was kind of cool that that we survived that and i was like yeah that's great let's do it again <laughs> so that was um and so salt of a sailor is that passage where we brought the boat back to pensacola and then um keys to the kingdom is my second book where we did uh the passage to the keys in 2014. so uh, i did read that book and, and uh it's a very good book i enjoyed it uh, you know i think in that book you reminded me of cheryl strayed <laughs> in the wild movie that reese witherspoon did that, yeah i've only uh, seen the movie i haven't read the book but i've heard the book is phenomenal uh, I, I read the book and i saw the movie and you know she is uh she was definitely a newbie right yeah. in in terms of uh she didn't have a lot of hiking experience she kind of just did it on her own mm-hmm. and she wrote it actually many years after but but the book wasn't really about hiking so much no it's more it, it it was about and so she hiked the the Pacific Crest Trail which is from Mexico to Canada right and uh, she backpacked the whole way in the wilderness right mm-hmm. alone which was very unusual mm-hmm. for the time I, I think there's a lot of that element in in keys to the kingdom there's you kind of you kind of talk about the sailing then you go kind of go back to your mm-hmm. your mental processes of you know why you quit your job why you right. kind of left your previous relationship why you kind of left your kind of uh house and all the mortgage and the right. car payment and uh, why you kind of went on the path that you're on right now and, yeah. and and really the emotional journey and the kind of physical journey was what was going on in Keys of the Kingdom. Yeah, so I was definitely trying to portray that transition, what it felt like for me you know, internally to kind of go through that. Were you, were you aware of kind of the wild book? Or were you thinking about that when you were structuring it or is that just, you just... No, I don't even think I'd seen the movie at the time. I'm trying to think when the movie came out, because all I saw was the movie on that one. So, no, I, I didn't even know it was a book first. I thought it was just screenplay for <laughs> okay. Reese Witherspoon, you know. I mean, a lot of times that happens. Philip's like, yeah, well, this is you a know, book a long time ago. And I'm maybe, like, oh. Maybe Reese Witherspoon will play you in uh, <laughs> Now, that would be cool. But no, Video Annie must live. Totally. <laughs> that would be an honor. But I'm going to be like, Reese, you've got to really dumb this down, okay? <laughs> we need to learn how to speak Annie here. The armpit, all that yeah. stuff, you know. <laughs> We'll have to help Reese get ready for it, but but no, I hadn't I hadn't seen um, hadn't seen Wild yet, and so I didn't even know it was a book. So that certainly wasn't part of the structure. The back and forth, which I get a lot, a lot, a lot of people love it, and a lot of people don't like it. The um, sort of time travel, you know, where you're in the present, mm-hmm. and then it reminds me of a story from my past that sort of connects with whatever feeling I'm having at the moment. Um, Salt of a Sailor was like that too. So I kind of came up with that formula first with Salt of a Sailor where I'm like, say, on the boat, and I'm swaying around, and it reminds me of, say, growing up riding a horse or something like that. It reminds me of something I've experienced before. And the premise of that in Salt of a Sailor was things I had experienced in my life I felt like prepared me to be a good cruiser, although I would have never guessed it. But it's just about being, like, resourceful or hardy or creative, and it played out well in the cruising world. I would have never thought it would have, but that was sort of the premise there. And so it tied in a lot of old stories that way, too. Okay. But some people are like, she's ADD, she's all over the place, this book is, goes from the future to the past, the future to the past, and I'm like, 
yeah, that's just, that's part of the story. You know, I hate you didn't like it, but that was the point. <laughs> but some people don't, don't like it. You know, it's, you know anything you put out, you're going to have people like it. Some people don't like it. Oh, everybody <laughs> loves my books. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought was really cool about Wilde, because I think it's so true that she says on, well, it's in the movie. Hopefully this is in the book as well. But she's like, I'm going to do so much thinking and solve all my problems on this trip. But she's like, but I couldn't get out of my head enough to do it. I kept playing songs or, you know, these, the, what she call it, her soundtrack, you know, like 80s music or reminding me. The new one doesn't have any old stories, so we'll see what the, okay. the voting public thinks of that. All right. <laughs> it's awesome. just the current story. <laughs> when did you quit your job? Uh, 2013, August 1st, 2013. Okay, 2013. So you didn't start writing Salt of a Sailor until you quit your job, or did you... No, I wrote um, Salt of a Sailor. Well, Salt of a Sailor is um, cobbled together from blog posts where I had talked about that trip, uh -huh. you know what I mean? So I had written those when we started looking okay. for the boat and when we made the passage, so that was probably a month later, you know, I would write about the okay. passage. But I'd started writing the book late 2014 and published it. But you wrote a couple books before that mm -hmm. that you had about the law vaguely. <laughs> boring don't talk about it <laughs> about the law yeah one of them is like billable hour it's how to um how to bill better by the hour attorneys have to do that it's Once sort the, of a, a fiction practitioner book. guide yeah. and, th and that was while fiction. you were working as a lawyer mm -hmm. right um you know when you're talking about in keys to the kingdom you wanted to get rid of your shackles and whatever mm -hmm. uh you're you were talking about your career and your your things versus maybe cruising per se is that was that i mean is that so i mean um you've gone on those trips right you've you did you went to the keys right and that was 2014 mm -hmm. 2014 and that was like a six-week trip mm -hmm. and you've done a few other small trips on other people's boats um were you expecting to kind of go out there right away, or was that, uh, were you... Oh, or like when Philip and I bought the boat yeah, to go cruising? Yeah, or, or, did, or were you expecting that you just were going to write? For well, I guess, like, to toss the lines and go cruising, if you're asking in that regard, yeah. um, we knew it would be a transition to... Philip is still an attorney here in Pensacola, mm -hmm. and always will be. He's going to hold sort of a part-time status at his job. Right. Um, so he was definitely still structuring so his lifestyle so he could go... I He's was a in the target reader for how to sail around the world part time. <laughs> Sorry, time. where's your book? I need to make sure you get to that. <laughs> how to sail around part time. Because that's what he would like to do is get three or four months off, work three or four months, three or four months on and off. Um, and we'll plan to do that always. But uh, So he was still definitely in transition. I, at the time, 2013, when we got the boat, was still working and right. hadn't yet decided all of this. I'm going to throw it away and go cruise the world. Um, but I think now we're getting a lot closer. I am fully self-sufficient as long as I have internet, which is a really cool thing. You know, mm -hmm. As long as I've got a computer and internet, right, yeah. I can make money, which is awesome. It's taken a while to get there. It's not something that just happens overnight. You kind of have to build an idea and a platform and books and things. But I do feel good that I am there now. So as long as I have internet, I'm good to go. So I'm ready <laughs> whenever if we want to just officially toss the lines and go. We're headed out um, this season to, um, as we were talking earlier, hopefully sort of Cuba, Isla Mujeres, do the Keys for longer. We're going to leave in October, November to like February, March and sort of do a, a nice big long trip this year. But we'll always come back to Pensacola, kind of stage the boat, come back. Philip will handle things at the firm, stuff like that. We're, we're planning that'll be the, the case for at least the next three or four years, travel, but come back to handle things here. Okay. You know, I think that 
uh, one of the things about your story that is important is uh, number one how much work you have put in to your your writing and how much work you put into uh, your blogging and how much work you've done, put into your thank you for that it's, it's not a lot of people and, that see and, that in your videos but also uh, that you're ver a very successful author right you know you're number one best-selling author right in the sailing category at least for uh, keys to the kingdom and and so I think I listened to the uh, podcast you did that was released this week, um, and it's a, a you said you earned like a one thousand one hundred a month. Is that is that right from your blogging and writing? Um, yeah, there's sort of three components of my um, income. I do marketing for clients, um, which I structured that company a while back, where I handle all of their online social media marketing. And those are paying clients. And, 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 you, were, and you were saying that from your, from your kind of original job as a lawyer, mm -hmm. you made a lot more than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> right. have any time to spend and, it. And, and you still do it, right? You still do it kind of remotely that you, you have some clients still. But you still make a lot more from that than you do from kind of your writing, blogging. And, and Patreon. Yeah, I guess what I was and saying... And I, I think the other thing that is important is that I think if you look at, if you kind of, instead of looking at people like La Vagabond and mm -hmm. S.V. Delos, uh, you look at the, just look through all the Patreon things, and you'll find that the median person on Patreon or the 90th percentile person on Patreon has zero in pledges. Right, yeah. and and I, I'm not saying you're lucky. You definitely, <laughs> you're definitely given a lot of value for your patrons. But I think there's a, a tendency to think, oh well, we'll just kind of quit our jobs, do this, and then we'll, you know, we'll be the next SV Delos, right, or the next <laughs> La Vagabond. I, it's funny, I get it, that a lot. And, <laughs> People and, have you heard of them? I'm yeah. gonna quit and start a channel too, and I'm like, well, good luck. But. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think what you're trying to say is, and I love to convey this to people, how much work it really is, and for how little it can it can give back. I, it's taken me a very long time to build a platform that's valuable enough that I feel people can even sponsor. Right. I I could have asked for pledges from the very beginning, but I just don't I don't think it offers value at that point. But now that I have books and um, I try to do the boat tours where I tour, tour boats so people can learn from other owners, people can learn from my journey, they can learn from our projects where we run into issues, and all of my videos I try to offer something of value so that it's fun, it's entertaining, but you're also learning the realities and rewards of cruising, you know, what this is all about, because I want people to know the full reality of it. I don't want anybody jumping in thinking, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, make plenty of money, and just have a blast. It, it's not like that. It's a lot, a lot of work. Um, I enjoy it. It's a labor of love, but I think what you were kind of alluding to is I, I make much easier and more money from my marketing clients where I handle their marketing and they pay me a monthly wage um, but it's like the 80-20 rule you know it's 20% of my clients pay me the most money 80% where I spend most of my time I get 20% of my income it's a very small input it's probably a fourth of what I make every month um, but obviously I keep doing it so that tells me I love it I love doing it. I love meeting people like you. I love getting invited aboard boats, and I love that I can make a little money with that, you know, and it, it does help with um, business expenses as well. You know, a lot more things that I do related to cruising I can legitimately call business expenses because I'm making money while I'm doing it. So it helps in that way, 
But um, it's uh, you have to love it, and you have to be patient. I feel it's taken me about two, three years for it to even justify maybe the time that I put in. But sometimes I could spend 20 hours making a video that earns me five bucks for the month. You know what I mean? That's totally possible, and that happened a lot in the beginning. It took a long time for me to keep talking myself into doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because it didn't. It wasn't fruitful for a very long time. But that's that's yeah. okay. I mean, I write because I love to write. And what you said about successful, being a successful author, I see it as how many people I impact. And when people write me and say, I read Keys to the Kingdom, and I'm thinking about starting a new job and getting a boat, like, that's success. That is really cool. And when I get that makes it all worth it. Like when you said you're a hard-working right. blogger, and you motivated me you, that day to just sit down and keep working. Okay. <laughs> that, I, stuff like that keeps me going. That's a really cool thing when I hear from people that I've reached. Well, I think you've reached a lot of people. And I a lot of people. So. I try to, because it's fun. It's, it's, it's amazing when I see people. I've seen people transform from working like I do, like a lawyer, to now they're almost about to cruise. You know, and I've kind of watched them the whole way, and that's a really cool thing. It's awesome to see people happier in their own shoes. You know. Um, so, Philip has a, a less flexible schedule than you do. Have you ever thought of leaving him and finding another? No, I'm no, 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 that was not what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I goodbye, get offers, though, trust me, there's some people out there that I'm like, whoa, whoa. Okay, so uh, my wife has a, a less flexible schedule than I do, so I have summers off because I teach. That's cool. And... Oftentimes, I'll solo sail the boat to a location where we want to be, or maybe I'll go with a crew member like, and take the boat to a location we want to be, and that was what we did in slow boats. Bahamas sailed the boat most of the way to Nassau. I had one crew member for part of the trip. Sophie, my daughter, five years old now, uh, and Jana met me. Sophie was four then, and I guess my only really long-term crew member was Daly, the four-pound <laughs> dog that is terrorizing us right now so have you ever thought of doing something similar uh with philip i know you say he's the captain but it you know i think you've gone through kind of a long learning experience mm -hmm. uh, you know since 2013 when you were just a complete newbie uh, insult of a sailor have you ever thought of doing that like solo sailing um. the boat a little I uh, definitely, um, I've thought of going on my own and doing crewing with other people and stuff. I've never thought of taking our boat, which is just funny because I've never been asked that. First of all, because I, I wouldn't take it away from Philip. He goes to the boat every day. Okay. <laughs> he would be heartbroken if I sailed the boat anywhere. Um, right. And without him, I think that would be, I, I would feel terrible doing that without him just because that's like our boat in our home. Um, but I have thought of going on my own on trips and stuff. I did um, the Bahamas. I went there alone. And that was hard for me. Sounds silly. I'm this big adventurer traveler, and I didn't want to go without Philip. He couldn't make it. Uh, some friends were doing the Abaco's Regatta and invited me to come. And I almost said no just because Philip couldn't come. And now when I look back on that, I'm like, bad Annie, you know, go experience the world. But I did that on my own. That was 2015, and I flew to the Bahamas and crewed on a Beneteau for five days in the regatta races, and that was so such an awesome experience. You know, I missed Philip, but I'm so, so glad I did. And he pushed me. He was like, you should go. You need to do it. Don't don't wait on me. And the same thing recently with the Atlantic crossing opportunity. Philip's still on the fence. You know, We're hoping he could come, 
Um, but I signed up. I was like, I'm going to do this. This is something I want to do and I'm excited about. Um, so definitely have had the idea to crew on other boats without him, but have not had the idea. It's interesting you ask that. I've just never thought about taking our boat without and him. Just even around yeah. Pensacola, just solo sailing it around. All well, the and I've never single-handed, so I, I haven't yeah. thought about doing that. Um, uh, to be honest, I guess until I lose Philip in some way, I, I wouldn't want to. And I'll just say that honestly. I don't know. I'd, have to <laughs> I'd be a little nervous to pull that boat out myself and sail it. I, to be honest, I, I've I, never single-handed. Well, so. I think, you know, one of the things I talk about in slow boats is a lot Bahamas was that Jana had a lot, or not a lot, but she had more experience with boats than I did, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we kind of had come, came from a fairly equal background in terms of the sailing experience, but she had slightly more, and she she did she did the helming. Mm -hmm. uh, Philip and, does the helming, and and you know I think for a lot of couples, and most cruisers are couples, they're you know mm -hmm. man and woman. Right. Maybe woman, woman, maybe man, man. But uh, <laughs> they're going to be couples, and you know, if it, you know, if it's a man and woman couple, uh, it's uh, you know, typically the man is the stronger of the two. Being physically stronger, you have an advantage in terms of pulling up the anchor. Anchor puller. <laughs> and you have it. You have a longer reach, so you can fend better. And you're more you're going to be better at kind of uh, fending uh, versus uh, taking the boat in, and so that was what we did most of the time. And you know, she would have the helm, and you. Would she would have the helm, and so it took me a it took me a while just to work up to that. And I I worked out, out I worked up to that with uh, an Optimus dinghy to start out with. <laughs> start small. <laughs> To helm with an Optimus dinghy before sure. I could get the, you know, confidence to, sure. to feel like I could do it. But, you know, after that, you know, you kind of do these small trips. You also switch off when you're docking. Yeah, you know, we've done that on occasion. Just to, just to get me, but it's funny that the reason we do that, we say, maybe Philip will get injured or fall over or something. It's right. never been like, I just want to do it just because I want to do it. And maybe that sounds silly, but I haven't yet had the inclination to want to single hand. Yeah, I, I don't think when I like kind of single hand the boat, I'm taking it away from Jana. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's still our boat, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, I guess when you were saying like take it somewhere, like a, like a leave Pensacola and go to like you know, Clearwater or Keys, uh, that would that would probably break Philip's heart. <laughs> I don't know that he'd sign off on that because it's he would miss it and he'd miss being with me. But I've just never thought about doing that to okay. be honest. And do you guys question? live aboard the boat? Not yet. We're probably we're gonna transition to it when we take our trip this year to Cuba and wherever. Um, okay. Currently we live in a furnished condo that's right near the boat, so it's like walking distance. Um, but we're gonna give up that place when we go this time. And then when we stage the boat and fly back when we need to, we're gonna do, I don't know, Airbnb or stay with friends or a hotel or something like that. So we'll be virtually land homeless, you know, when we go on the boat this fall. Philip plans to return to his practice, right? Yeah, for to handle say trials or hearings or things like that, and we'll okay, when we so do that. So he's not going to stay for months on end, or mm -hmm. no? Okay. Not not that right. long. Hopefully, we're hoping it'll be shorter, a couple weeks here, three weeks there, a month here, you know, stuff like that. That was Annie Dyke. It was fun to have her on the slow boat. Next time we'll have the crew of Miss Lone Star. I want to thank Moritz for being our newest patron. That's got us uh, over halfway towards our goal of twenty dollars per episode to cover the internet costs. Moritz, uh, 
pledged at the $2 first mate level and you'll get a free version of the slow boat to the Bahamas number one best-selling book on Amazon sailing category check out my book how to sail around the world part-time it tells you how you can sail around the world with as little as two months off per year by sailing in stages and avoiding the worst seasons for sailing. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and uh, you know you can tell your friends about the podcast. Another way about the way to tell people about how much you like the podcast is uh, put a rating or review on iTunes. I think we're putting out some great interviews, getting some great guests. And there are many more to come, and it's a real boost every time I, I see somebody appreciates it. We have not closed our applications for the possible crew position, and uh, if you would like to sail on the slow boat and cross the equator for the first time, don't put that off till someday contact me right away and I'd love to talk to you about the opportunity but if we don't get a suitable crew member we'll go anyways and uh, you'll just have to hear about it or read about it on social media or on the podcast this is Linus Wilson have some fun on the water until next time next time we'll probably be two weeks from now uh, because we will be offshore and uh, will not have access to internet to post a new podcast. If you're a even a one dollar Patreon supporter of the podcast you'll get access to the bonus episode with Annie Dyke and all the bonus episodes going back to the bonus episode with S.B. Delos in episode 10 so it's a lot of great content I think you'll really enjoy it it's a great value and I hope that you can help the slow boat sailing podcast continue to, to bring it free on iTunes and Stitcher. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.